You're listening to Tony Mark with The Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. Today in studio, we have a very special guest. I've been um, longing to talk to this woman on air because for about uh, 15 years now, uh, uh, I've been talking to Wendy about just about everything. Every conversation we've ever had has been interesting. Uh, I've been a trainer for so long, and she has motivated me into doing a lot of things. Um, it's... It, um, Miss Wendy Cecil, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tony. It has been a long time, and the being at the gym is rather like being in a salon as far as topics of conversations. You don't know where it's going to go. (laughs) You never know where it's going to go. That's right. Wendy, you've, um, you've accomplished so much in your life. And one of the reasons why I wanted you on the show, it's because the 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 type of uh, uh, things that I, I'm trying to do, which is guide, motivate, and uh, and educate people um, on the the the, the wellness uh, uh, aspect, uh, I look to you and, and as a, someone in in the field, and I'm in awe because you have been doing it for so long. How did you get into the 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 fitness and wellness aspect of your life? Well. I suppose the first thing you have to think about is how old I am. (laughs) So I've been at it for a long time. I've had a lot of opportunity to see what a difference it makes in your life when you do make an effort to be very active. And I would have to say it's less a matter of specific fitness than being active and aware of what you're eating. So looking back, I'd say uh, the way I grew up in the 50s in Willowdale, We were very free as children. I had a bicycle. My parents were very protective parents, but they weren't worried about letting us go off for the day with a packed lunch on our bikes. So we were active kids. We were running. We were in the fields. We were on the very edge of Willowdale, so there were farmer's fields nearby. Um, So it starts with being active from childhood. when I went to high school, everybody did phys ed pretty much every day. So, and we had a long walk to and from school and parents didn't drive you, you walked. So you build up to a period of years and then you get to university. And in um, 1967, when I started at university, phys ed was compulsory. In university? In first year, not uh, after that. Uh-huh. But in first year, I tried, um, well, first of all, you had to pass a swimming test. And at the University of Toronto, and then uh, you had to take two sports. So I did tennis, at which I was an abysmal failure. (laughs) And I also did fencing, which I loved. Okay, so that gets you through first year with some fitness, and you're walking a lot because it's a big campus and you walk everywhere. And then it starts to go downhill. So by the time I'd been out of university a couple of years, um, I was 24, and I was feeling pretty sluggish. And I, and frankly, I was feeling dumpy. And that was just at the point where the Toronto Central YMCA went co-ed. Oh, really? And so I started to go at lunchtime to classes at the Y. And I would say that was a major turning point for me because I'd gone from being very active to being not so active other than, you know, walking a bit here and there to starting into five days a week at the YMCA and becoming a total um, Y rat. I loved it because I loved the way it made me feel. 
So that was at age 24. Well, it's um, it's it's absolutely amazing because you mentioned um, getting that uh, having fitness instilled in you from a very young age. But it and wasn't called fitness. Yeah, it was just it was being just, busy. Yes, <laughs> and and that's what parents used to do. You know, right. where you know after school you do your homework and you go outside and you play. That's right. all gone to the wayside, and including yes. uh, you you just mentioned uh, a first year university where you had to take a fitness course. You know, yes. and then you had be to part do two it. sports. You had to do two sports yeah. where now it's not even before now it's high school and it's just grade nine and yes. the rest of it is optional and That's starting right. in a few years they're taking phys ed out completely yes western i think is canceling the even the phys ed program i mean where they're teaching people to be phys ed experts yes That's, yeah, that was just in the paper in the last it, couple of weeks it actually. was but i i mean one of the things in our family, um, the the worst curse that my parents could level at us was, you're lazy. Yeah. And that, I mean, that was a shameful thing. And if you think about it, um, there used to be eight deadly sins and sloth was well, one of one. them. Yes. Uh, they removed <laughs> sloth. But uh, sloth, uh, I have a fear of being slothful, of being somebody who does nothing, who is lazy. So that in itself is motivating. It, it, uh, it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I have to I have to paint this picture of uh, you know Wendy's explaining how she got to you know in 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 her her fitness regime how she got up and I and I will explain a lot more. But this is a woman. Uh, this leads me to my 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 next uh, my next question was Wendy was the first woman to cross the finish line at the Toronto International Marathon in 1980. So she's talking about the turning point from, from youth to university and then getting back five days a week in, 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 in the, at the YMCA to training for the, the International Marathon and being first. What was that like? <laughs> Well, it was a real adventure, I have to tell you. It started at the Y. I made friends going to the Y, doing the fitness classes, you know, running around a gym and that sort of thing. And the old Y on College Street had um, a track that was on the second level. So when you were in the gym, you could look up and see these people running around. And I, I remember thinking, gee, you know, they can go a long time. I wonder I wonder if I could do something like that. And I think it was 26 and a half laps to the mile. So you can imagine oh it was dizzying. Yes. Um, but I, I started and I made friends who ran. And one day, one of my friends, actually, he ended up being my first coach, said, why don't you run outside with some of us? And I said, well, the most I can do is a couple of miles. And he said, well, that's all right. So we did six miles in the ravine. And I had no idea how far we'd run. And I got back to the Y and he said, that was six miles. And I was so happy because this was beyond anything I had dreamed I could ever do. And of course, then I just lost my sense of proportion and ended up doing marathons. <laughs> you know, it, it became um, something to do, an adventure. Can, can I actually do this? Because now I was meeting people who ran them. Whether or not it was a smart thing to do, I'm not sure, but it sure was fun. And it was, it provided me with a great sense of satisfaction uh, to prove, you know, we're, we all want to prove something to ourselves that we can do something, we can achieve something. I was working very hard at my, at my day job, you know, at yes. the office, but this was something completely different that brought with it friendships, physical exhaustion, a sense of power. Um, and, and I just, Loved it. 
I just loved it. It, it um th- that that's so fascinating because you can you can actually see the 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 gradual process in in how you got there. Yes. And, and you know from looking up at that uh, that running track and, uh-huh. and going out and now living it and and doing because six miles is is still it's a long way to go, especially when you're just starting out. Um, well, true, and it it led to training about 110 miles a week. So I was getting up at the crack of dawn and running 14 miles before work and then running again at lunch. And I mean, and it led to interval training and all kinds of things because it it became a question of, well, what's the limit? Yeah. You know, and I, I never did get to do an ultra marathon. I wanted to, but by then I was, um, you know, it was time to start having children and everything. I'd left that late enough because I, I won the Toronto Marathon when I was 32. So I was already, you know, getting there. Um, and uh, it was, um, I mean, I'm a very small person. I'm five foot one. And there was something really nice about being able to pass all kinds of big people. <laughs> <laughs> That's During empowering. During the race, it was yeah. very empowering. And and it was uh, a surprise to a lot of people because I'm a small person. But it's also, at that point, it's a level playing field. Yes, and And, you know, That's if you right. put, it, you know, at that time, too, there yeah. were so many people that were separated. The sexes were separated. Right. Everything, you know, and, and um, to be able to, you know, at five foot one, do that. Well, um, my, my story is that a, a small woman runner never passed a man once. She had to pass him two or three times before he finally realized she was, she was faster there. than he was. <laughs> <laughs> because it was like they couldn't believe that this little woman was yeah. was passing them. Um, and and that, was, that was kind of fun too. And, and some men eventually said, you know, as long as I am right behind the first woman, I'll feel I've done very well. <laughs> you know, so that's progress. That, that's huge progress it's um so wendy that was my my next question actually is that you you, you're running was it natural or or were you did you train extremely from what you just said there was a lot of training there was an awful uh, lot of training i think if if i had a natural gift it was a that i was small so i wasn't pounding a lot yes i wasn't carrying a lot of extra body with me um that would be one thing and the other thing Two other things, I guess. One is determination. I'm, I am a very determined person. If it's something that's important to me, I will get up at four in the morning and do it, or I will, you know, I will carve out the time to do it. And, um, I guess the other thing was stamina. I've always had a great deal of stamina. So those three things put together, you can say it was natural or you can say it's not. I don't think my style was the best. It was pretty efficient, but it wasn't necessarily the best. Uh, I've learned through the years, especially now training with Devon at Balance, that a lot of things that I was doing when I was running were not really very good for my knees. Um, But you know, there was a lot of information in those days that our coaches didn't have and we didn't have. We were flying blind. And uh, now a lot of the things we did, you wouldn't do. Long, slow distance was the big thing when I was doing marathons. And that meant 110 miles a week. Yes. Now, I don't think a good marathon runner 
probably runs more than 40, if that. And, and, but what they do also is, um, is use different techniques and so on, like the, the high intensity training, yes. hill training and so on yes. to improve and your we power. We did that. Intake. We did yeah. hill training and so much so that you'd throw up at the top of every hill. We did intervals. We were throwing up all the time. It sounds charming, but you know, you get used to it. Uh, so we did a lot of that, but we didn't have the professionalism that's available now because it was still very experimental. And, and now it's a science. And now it's a science. That's right. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a short break and come back with Wendy Cecil on The Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. You're listening to Peach Radio, streaming from the Peach Gallery in Toronto. We're back on PeachRadio.com with Miss Wendy Cecil. Uh, going back to a little bit uh, in the conversation we were having about her, her training methods and how she um, uh, became a marathoner. Uh, Wendy, over the years, have you changed or adapted new styles of training uh, to improve your, 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 um, your fitness? Yes, I think uh, it's important that anybody who is making a, a long-time commitment to fitness and to health has to be prepared to adapt. I I stopped running a long time ago. That was number one, because I got some advice from Bruce Kidd, uh, which was, if you want to stay active, stop just running. You've, you've got to do more than that and cut back or you're going to wreck your knees. So I um, I started power walking instead, not race walking, which can lead to some hip problems, but, but just power walking, good, steady, fast walking. Um, I, when I was about uh, 42, I guess, I started with resistance training with weights way back at Fitness One-on-One. Maybe I was 41, something like that. Uh, Fitness One-on-One and, uh, you know, starting with weights. And I really liked it. And I found that it was a very satisfying thing to do. So introduced that. Over the years, I flirted with um, yoga and Pilates and so on from time to time. Uh, But I would say that the most important change has been foundation training, which I learned at Balance through Devon, and uh, that and the resistance training. And I think a big part of this is tied to the functionality that we want to maintain as we get older. Uh, for me now at 67, what am I looking for? I'm looking for longevity. I'm looking for grace. I'm looking for stability. And I want to feel good. I want to keep up my energy levels. So all of those things suggest that just running, which is what I used to do with maybe a little bit of weight training on the side, is not going to deliver the results that I need. So yes, I have altered my training style as I've gotten older because my needs are changing. And and I while my needs are changing, I don't want the way I feel to change. It, it's so important that you um, what you just said because part of it is reprioritizing as we get older mm-hmm. the the things that are important to us. And you've obviously evaluated it and made sure that you know this is a, I feel good, but I want to keep feeling good. And yes. it has you know you mentioned the foundation training. My partner Devon McGregor introduced foundation training to uh, uh, the the members of Balance Fitness, and not just uh, uh, Balance, but it's now he's been teaching uh, people right. across the country about foundation training. Uh, if you go back in the in in a couple of previous episodes of the Art of Wellness, you'll hear Devon explain what foundation training is all about, and it's one of the most interesting things that I've. I've come across because you have to learn how to move again. 
and yes. be forgotten. And, you know, I get to, to be and see how, you know, his teachings and how he goes about doing it. And so it has changed so many people. And, uh, with you, it's, um, I know that, uh, it has been a great part of, uh, your, 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 um, yes. Uh, I, I, and I'll tell you part of why I like it so much. When I was about 16, I was in a bad boat accident and I injured my back. So my life, uh, part of my interest in exercise, of course, and I didn't mention this earlier, has been to stop my back from going into spasm because okay. it's painful and then I'm out of it for a week or two. The foundation training, because it is so um, attuned to using your muscles properly and lifting yourself, carrying yourself, bearing your own body weight properly, I think has been the best thing that has happened to my back ever. And this is from someone who's been in fitness your entire life. Yes, but and you, part you, of the fitness was managing my back pain. Yeah, that yeah. that was a little part of what got me into it. And the foundation training, you're right, it is learning how to move all over again and being faced with the fact that some of the things that we do because we just think that's how our bodies work are actually very harmful for us and that somebody can show us a better way to move our bodies and not increase the likelihood of injury and to feel good while you're doing it. It's very powerful uh, modality. And, and, and um, for for as part of that, you just, and on the other end, you know, yeah. for someone like yourself with back problems and so on, you're so aware, you know, and, and there are certain yeah. things because ladies and gentlemen, Wendy is, you know, I keep alluding to this, but she is such an active person you know it, it, it's um uh, we're gonna go into a little bit about how she finds time for all of us <laughs> because you have no idea what mm. this woman has accomplished in her life um and still continues to accomplish but it's the fitness part when you feel good about yourself when you're, you're you're mentally strong and physically strong you can do just about anything yes and as you know one of the things that devon says is what you do in the gym should be the hardest thing you do all day. Everything else will be a piece of cake. And it's it's actually true. It's so true. Uh, that it, it's a good standard against which to measure the rest of your day. If you if you work hard at the gym, uh, if you are prepared to challenge yourself, then life is easy by comparison. And there's a lot more life than there is just gym. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, the balance is, yes. is good. Is, is, is the good thing. Um, now, Wendy... I'm going to, I really want, um, a, a part of the show is to help, uh, motivate people because we all think that, you know, fitness, oh, it's just, you know, it's one thing too much. No time. I, yeah, no, I have time. no time. Right. You know, I have family, I have kids, I have work, you know, you're, you know, I, I'd rather go and do something, you know, read a book and so on. But, how did you find the time to to prioritize this? Because what people are going to learn about you is that you are one of the busiest person, I think, in the country. How do you find time to do this? Well, obviously, I have to make it a priority. And this has been the case for me for many, many years. If you think Every time you get on an airplane and that ad comes on, you know, the advice about what to do if the pressure drops, and it shows a child and a parent, and it says, put your own mask on first, first. and then help the child. Yes. I think of that 
as far as my fitness is concerned, I can do a much better job of looking after my family, of doing my work, of being part of my community, if I maintain my fitness, because my energy will be better. I will be far happier if I'm fit and I don't have serious health problems. So even um, when I had a, an executive position and was working long hours, I would get up at 5.30 and get it in early. I, I would do something to feel that I'd, you know, I'd warmed up the engine before my day got going. Um, when I had young children, I often ran them to school. They might be on their bikes and I would run beside them to fit the run in before I, you know, went off to work or did whatever else I had to do. Now that I am technically retired from, you know, my, my business, but I do a lot of other things, um, I, I have the opportunity to tell organizations I work with, I don't have meetings before 11. It's too important to me to go to the gym, to have my power walk. That is too important to me. I'm just not prepared to do breakfast meetings or nine o'clock meetings. And if that doesn't work with the organization, then that's fine. No hard feelings, but I'm not going on the board <laughs> or joining yes. the committee. And uh, that it's too easy to let the thin edge of the wedge change that routine. So you, you kind of have to give a blanket ruling. If something truly exceptional comes up and I have to miss a session, well, then that's fine. But generally, it's about the discipline of doing it. It's about saying, no, nobody says I don't have time to brush my teeth three yes. times a day. Yes. They make the time to do it. Well, this is like brushing your teeth or oiling your engine or whatever you want. Your body needs it. You yes. you need to do it so that throughout the rest of the day you can stay active. And and part of it, um, well, you know, you you mentioned that you're you're 67 and you've 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 built your career career. You've 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 worked extremely hard, so you do have the option. Some some people don't have the option of saying no no um, yes, meetings right. before 11. But what you can do is whether it's at lunch because you just yes. mentioned running beside your kids. Right. You you know they're on the bike. You're you're running. You've got to fit it in somewhere. So the excuses, which I'm trying to cut down, you never made an excuse. It's you found a way to do it, and now you can you can say, well, okay, now I can I can do it here right. and it's, not it's do it here. It's easier now. It's easier, but, but but then it wasn't. And if you think of water, you know, water always finds a route. It uh, it is unfailing. It will find the little corner. It will find a route. If fitness becomes important to you, if you can see that it is going to make the entire rest of your life better, you will find a way. For years, I went to the Y at lunch. I went into work early, uh -huh. and then I, I worked for the morning. Then I went to the Y, I took a longer lunch, worked out at the Y, and then I stayed late because that was the best time for and me to do it. And that was your me time. And that was my me time. It wasn't early in the morning and it wasn't late at night because yeah. I was at work, but it was at noon. So um, you have to be a bit creative. And for a lot of people, it starts with one or two days a week, and then yes. they might find a way to work in more. But I think it's important to set a minimum where you say, this is what I need to stay healthy. It's my commitment to myself, to my family, to my business colleagues, so I won't get sick and, you know, be unable to uh, contribute. It's my 
commitment as an Ontarian, as a Canadian, because I will be less of a drain on the healthcare system. On the a burden on that system that I talk That's about. Right. You know, the last time I saw the stats, 51 cents of every tax dollar healthcare. went to healthcare. Yeah. And that that blew me away. And and you we know. can't say the government should look after us no. because who wants to get it, sick in the first place? Yeah, exactly. You know, so it, it is if all Canadians could find a way to say, even if it's twice a week, I'm going to do something to help me move better so that the rest of the week I'm more active and I'm moving better and maybe I'm walking even partway to work or to get the groceries or whatever. We can have an impact. Wendy, I'll go one step further and say, you know, I, although I'm in the, in the, the, the health club industry and in, in the gym business, you just mentioned twice a week. If you find you don't even have to go to a gym, you don't yeah, have to that's do right. you can I, I every day, if you sit for more than half an hour, which most people do, it means mm-hmm. that you can find twenty minutes out of every day to just walk. Yes. And yes. that's the beginning. That's, right. that's where it starts. That's you being in the gym and looking up at the track and saying I wonder, I wonder if I can do that. I wonder. You know, yes. and, and so that's that's what happens. And it starts mm-hmm. somewhere. And if it's just about, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes every day, just, you, you know, we talk about balance. If you're sitting down, think about standing up. Yes, if you're if right. you're you don't have to run, you don't have to do all those things. You don't have to go into a gym. You can find a way to find that time to make sure that it works well, for you. And here's another example. You know all those round discs that are near doors that you push them and the door opens? Don't use it. <laughs> Open the door yourself. <laughs> the, these are very very tiny things that It's funny. That's the first time I've ever heard someone say that, but I've always thought about it. It's a, that's incredible. <laughs> Because you can open yeah. it and you can use your muscles a little bit to open yeah. it. <laughs> you know, they, they're wearing out. Those discs are wearing out far faster than they were ever expected to because they thought people with mobility issues That's right. would use them. Yeah. But everybody's yeah. using them. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> now, Wendy, you, you know, talking to you is fascinating because I'm trying to find out what drives you. And you, who influenced you? Because you, I know for a fact you're a self-motivated person. But was there a, 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 the two people that influenced you in your formative years? Who would they be? Uh, okay. Well, first of all, family. Because as I told you, being called lazy yeah. was just a terrible thing. And I never wanted that to um, be something that I could be accused of. So I suppose I'd say my parents were very busy people. They were very busy. They were very active. Um, so it starts there. Um, in school, of course, I had some wonderful teachers. I went to Newtonbrook Secondary School. There were some terrific teachers who, you know, pushed us. Uh, starting at the Y was wonderful, meeting other people who wanted to be physically active. I had um, a supervisor, Christine McKay, who used to do radio broadcasts for the CBC, and she was at the Toronto Stock Exchange. She boosted my confidence in what I was capable of doing. Um, my dad had always made me practice public speaking. And if if I can give parents one piece of advice about their children, help them become confident public speakers, it will carry them a long, long way in areas they haven't even dreamed of because most people are afraid of public speaking. Absolutely. And if you're not, you'll get opportunities that will not be offered to other people. Um, I worked with colleagues over the years uh, who were encouraging, who were fun to be with. Um, I, I, you know, there, 
I think many people look for one mentor. They think that there'll be one person who really shows them the way, puts their arm around their shoulder, guides them. And I, I've mentored a number of younger people and I continue to do that and I really like it. But I always say it takes more than one mentor. It, the responsibility is on you to look around and when you see somebody that you admire or you like the way they do something, make an effort to get to know them. And they don't have to be your full-time mentor. They don't have to commit hours and hours of time to you. But most people are willing to give you a little time, give you a little advice here and there. Maybe it's a few sentences one day that that just makes things clear for you. So when you say who were the people, I'd say it's a it's a bouquet of people, many of them in different areas, whether it was business, whether it was health, cooking, fitness, uh, friendships, relationships with your children, you can learn a lot from everybody if you just pay attention. It's um, That's a, an absolute brilliant answer because different people offer different things to you right. also. And, um, you know, the, the advice, if, uh, you know, I would love for young people to, to listen to what you just said, um, because it, we're all, be, we've been told that, you know, find that one person. Yeah, it's, and, a, it's you know, not going to happen that know, way. I'm a fan of biographies. And yes. you always, yeah. you always find, you know, someone that you thought was just exceptional one thing they were so deficient in other things right. so it's you know find the, the the group like i'm you know i'd love that that piece of advice because you find different people and and uh, it might be one person but yeah. it it's it, um you know i would like more people to listen to you and look up to you <laughs> and take from you you know what all the stuff that you've oh, um you. You, you know advice but, from but you you know but, what tony it's also literature it's reading whether it's newspapers or i know they say nobody reads newspapers anymore i still do but so do it, I. It's being curious. And if you're curious, you even read literature differently. You get advice from good literature. It's a, I've got a, a, um, a, a little um, a little story to, to tell the audience that um, Wendy and I, as I said before, we discuss uh, and our conversations are not lengthy conversations, mm. by the way. I don't want it to seem like, you know, we sit down for hours and talk, but we, we pass each other at the gym. And if there's something to, to, to be said, I'll say it or I'll mm. ask you something. But um, a few years ago that uh, just with the story about literature. Uh, so everyone was talking about this book, uh, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, and <laughs> we're talking about it and so on. So I have a lot of female clients, so I wanted to know, you know, I always, I read my paper every morning. I try to stay in the know. I try to stay, you know, uh, ahead of the curve and, and, and so on. And um, so I picked up the book because everybody was talking about this book. And I, I mentioned to, um, I think Wendy and I was just picking up tidbits of information on the floor and so on. And um, um, I said, you know, that, that it didn't, it wasn't teaching me anything. And, and when he said, I read 10 pages and it was the most awfully written book <laughs> I've ever right. read. And I put it down and I started laughing because you just mentioned literature. You can learn from literature. Right. And um, that was a piece that just didn't teach you didn't, anything. No, I just thought the writing is so painfully bad. I'm not going to be able to get through this. And there are three books. So, you know, three why books bother? and 50 why million bother? copies sold. Right. It's, right. Um, boy, did they ever. And I'm um, not down on modern literature, no, but that, no. and, and I didn't, I wasn't judging it as being immoral or anything. Yeah. I just thought it was 
bad writing. <laughs> Life is too short to read bad writing. Yeah, but uh, you know, it, whether it's uh, it's that you know that book, and we're not saying anything bad about Bucky that book in particular, because you know it. If you can pick up a, a piece of literature or you know a book or a newspaper, I always say read as much as you yes. you, you can. Yes. So it's all a personal preference. But uh, you know the kids over the last ten years have read Harry Potter and brought reading right. back into vogue. You know that's which right. I thought that's fantastic, perfect, perfect, fantastic. Do it. Get them Do reading. It. But um, I, I again that piece of advice of you know, it's not only a person that mm. will influence you. Literature will influence you, and it's such a big part of movies. And plays. I, yeah. I mean, just look around. It's all an expression of the human experience. And that's what we're looking for. Absolutely. We're looking for guideposts in our personal human experience. So uh, you'll find information everywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take one more break and come back with Miss Wendy Cecil on the Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. You're listening to Peach Radio, streaming from the Peach Gallery in Toronto. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Art of Wellness on PeachRadio.com. Uh, once again, um, Wendy Cecil is uh, is in uh, in uh, studio with us and having a, a conversation. Um, and we just uh, spoke about her influences and 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 how she she um, goes about um, being influenced and and what she tries to do and what she tries to get from from all the different influences in her life. But um, my question to you, Wendy. You got into uh, uh, the workforce in in the seventies. Yes, uh, was it right. difficult uh, in the seventies as a, as a woman uh, to to climb the corporate ladder? Well, I think it's always difficult to climb the corporate ladder, whether you're male or female. Uh, certainly in the 70s, uh, it was a little more challenging for women. And I started at the Toronto Stock Exchange, which was, especially at the time, a bastion of male power, if ever there was one. Um and, uh, you know, if you think about it, it's before Ms. Magazine, and then suddenly Ms. Magazine came out, and it was crystallizing a lot of the problems that women faced in the workforce, and not just in the workforce, but also within their own families, so that you had women more than ever in um, in the corporate world, in, in other aspects of, of uh, business life, but they were still carrying the full load on the home front. So yes, that was a challenge both personally and, and in the office. I'm going to tell you, I think that my commitment to running and winning so many races helped my corporate career. And I'll say that because I brought my trophies to work. And I kept them on the shelf in my very nice black and yellow and gray office. <laughs> and they I had a shelf full of trophies. And this had a certain value in that it made, I think, a lot of my male colleagues more comfortable with me. Because most of them, at the time anyway, understood athletics and competition. And it made me just a little different and made them see me with different eyes. And so that that was kind of an accidental discovery that I made. And it, um, it proved to be a valuable thing to do, uh, to such a point that some of them came to races. Um, I was always being asked how things were going. Um, they saw me as somebody maybe more like them than what they might have thought a woman would be, so, but Wendy, what you have you have mentioned so many things so far. But 
what I'm getting out of it, you've always tried to make the playing field level. You, yeah. It, it's, you know, yeah. you, you didn't look at, you know, I'm going to tear down or thing, but you, you know, whether it's the, the races and so on, where you were passing, you know, men and women, uh, in, mm-hmm. in the, in the office space where you, you know, you brought your trophies in where it's like someone would look at that and say, she's just a champion. It's not a woman. She's just a champion. Yeah. Saw me as a person. As just, a person. As a person. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't actually thought of it in those terms, but um, I, I see where you're going with that. Tony, yeah. And it, that's, that's right. Because one of the things, you know, the old saying, you get more flies with honey than vinegar. Uh, if you were strident, if you were angry, you just got people against you. Uh, and I'm not saying you go along to get along, but I did have experiences where, say, a colleague, a male colleague, who was really a supporter of mine, might make the most incredibly um, sexist remark unintentionally. Yes. Yeah. I knew he was coming from the right place. I knew he was somebody who wanted me to succeed. But he'd come from a generation yes. maybe that just didn't quite get it. What advantage would there have been to making him feel badly about that? I wasn't going to change the 60-year-old man when I was you know, 28. So letting a bit of that roll off my back and um, getting where it was coming from, that it was not woman hatred or trying to keep me down. It was kind of conditioning in a way. And things have improved for women. I don't think they're easy. I, I counsel a lot of young women and they are still coping with some similar problems. You know, one of the the things they say is um, the system isn't broken. It was made that way. And I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. It was constructed on a very different uh, basic understanding of the role of the sexes. And we're still trying to um, change it. So I don't think younger women today have it uh, easy by any means. Well, you know what, with your, your influence and, and uh, the things that you've done, um, and with your teachings, uh, that can definitely help in, in, well, in, I hope, in furthering. I hope, I hope so. Know, it, I, it, I've tried with my daughter yeah. anyway, and my sons too, who have very different attitudes because they've grown up in a different era. Yeah, it's um, now Wendy. You you do a lot of uh, you you volunteer. Mm -hmm. You um you you sit on on a number of boards um um and 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 big corporate boards and so on. Uh, We've listened to you about how how you you prioritize fitness in in your life, but you're also the chancellor of Victoria University. You know, U of T. Mm -hmm. It's um. That is a major, major job and and accomplishment. What is it like being being in, in that position? Well, it's terrific, <laughs> and I love it. It's a great honor because you represent uh, all the alumni of the university, um, and Vic was my alma mater at the University of Toronto. So it gives you an opportunity to um, to stay connected with a place that really helped to shape your thinking and your goals in life and how you've conducted your life, your values, and your intellectual pursuits. Uh, so you stay connected with that, but it also gives you the opportunity to touch the future because you're working with younger people. You're working with undergrads. Vic is an undergraduate college. And 
I, I love that because they are no different in many respects from what we were when we started in 1967. They're full of dreams and insecurities and um, reaching uh, some almost invisible goal, but they can feel it. They just don't know exactly what it is. So I, I really enjoy working with the young people there as I enjoy working with the academics and the administrators. It's a, it's a very good community. And Vic is known for its students who uh, tend to have a, a great social conscience, conscience and, and work for the betterment of society. So. It's delightful to get to know them early before they start doing what they're actually going to do with their lives. It's. It, it, um, I, I wish uh, the audience could see the, the the joy and passion in your in your face when you talk about this because it's so it's so meaningful. Well, it is a know, privilege. It is a real privilege because I am not a teacher. I'm not one of their instructors. I'm not a counselor, but they will ask me questions and and they tend to listen when I speak to them because I don't have an axe to grind. Yeah. The only thing I'm not their parent. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm not marking any of their papers. I just want them to do well. And I want to share with them things that I've learned over the years. Maybe I learned them the hard way. I want to share them with them so they don't have to learn them the hard way. And it's their choice. They can listen or not. It's... um you know, it, 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 the, the, the students, uh, will, will benefit so much, you know, because what you're bringing in is real world experience. And, um, it, I, I wish I can list everything that you've done, uh, where I would put you on a, on a, on a, a different pedestal so people can learn, just not in, with personal, with business, with your, your academic achievements, but, Having you in studio here today, I wanted to congratulate you on something that I don't know if a lot of people know, um, uh, but on, on, on February, February, sorry, on, on November 18th, 2015, you received one of the highest honors that could be given to a Canadian. And in my, in my view, the highest honor that can given, can be given to, to someone. And it, you were named to the Order of Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a very selective group of people that ever win this, uh, you know, that, that are placed in that position and given this honor. How does that make you feel uh, to, to, for that to be bestowed on you? Humble, because then you, when you've been so recognized, and it was really quite a thrill, I have to say, to receive it from David Johnson, the Governor General, um, and to have some friends there for it and, and my family. Um, but it does make you feel humble because, for one thing, you listen to the achievements, the citations of your cohort, the other people who are receiving it at the same time. And I think we all felt that we were looking at one another as each one went up and the citation was read. And you hear what this individual and the next individual and so on has achieved in their life. And we, so we all felt humbled by the experience. And it's very emotional when your country has recognized you that way. And then afterwards at the dinner, we were talking about it and we said, and now we all know we have to behave for the rest of our lives. <laughs> you know, we have, we, it's, it's important. The onus is on us now to continue to be, uh, the best people we can be because others will look at that little snowflake pin on us. And we got to live up to it. 
We have to live up to it. And I think that's a good thing. I think nobody, once you get it, I don't think there's anybody who's just going to sit back on their haunches and say, well, now I've done it. Yeah. I've got this. Now yeah. I can cruise. I think if anything, it, it improves. It increases your motivation. It's a, it's a very big impetus to do more. And, and Wendy, you were on, on the bill with um, Colonel Chris Hatfield. Yes, you know, and he was and, a lot of fun. And, and, and oh, I, I love the guy. Yeah. You know, at some point, I would love to have him on the show. But, you know, just, you know, you're and Mark Carney. You know, uh-huh. when you, That's you know, right. I, as I said, my reading and, and, and the paper, the papers and, and so on, I read a lot about business and, 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 and the science field and so on. And these two guys, you're there, you know, this, yeah. this, this, this little lady that, <laughs> and you're, you're being honored with these giants. And, and I really, you know, I, I congratulate you for, for all your Thank you. You know, we had a sing along at the end of it. There were musicians. No. Beverly McLaughlin was there and other, you know, wonderful people sitting in this glorious room and we were singing. I mean, it was a very, the end of it, after all the formalities, it was a very down home kind of thing. It, it felt, it felt wonderful, Tony. It really now, did. Now, did the Colonel, um, the Colonel Hatfield, was he leading? Oh, he was, was singing. He, well, he, was, he we brought out an album. Well, you we know, had so Blue he, Rodeo. We had okay, Blue Rodeo there. Right. So we, you know, and at, at different instruments, piano, everything. People yeah. just... Everybody did what they could and sang and we swayed and it was lovely. It, it's um, to, to get the, an insider's uh, <laughs> uh, account of, of what yeah. happened. It's uh, it's such a, an incredible thing because um, I can just imagine being in Rideau Hall and, yes. and, uh, and, and taking all right. of this and in. And the rooms and, are truly beautiful and elegant and and have the chief justice of the supreme court of canada singing along with everybody else it just felt so canadian <laughs> it's um wendy it's um uh, it's so much uh, of an honor uh, knowing that you've all the stuff that you've accomplished and and so on which is 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 by no means you know the, the they're all feats to me and I, I was reading your bio and reading all the stuff that you were honored with and so on and finally be getting the the, the um uh, that honor well, i hope uh, i'm going to do more stuff <laughs> yeah, well, i don't i don't want to quit now <laughs> what's what's interesting and and i thought um, I was uh, uh, reading the the, uh, the the stuff that was being said, and um, uh, the, the the Governor General David Johnson. Um, I'm going to quote part of his his speech because it reminded me specifically of you. And um, he said um, in 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 his speech, he said, and he presided over the the ceremony, of, of course. And he um, but he said, but your work is by no means over. Then he went on to say, you have many stories to tell and new frontiers to explore, mm-hmm. unquote. And I thought, you know, the person that has explored more frontiers <laughs> and, and gone more places in this country and around the world is Wendy Cecil. So yeah. it, um, you know, it... it uh, but you can only do that if you maintain your fitness. <laughs> your fitness and wellness... <laughs> 
<laughs> right? I mean, you're not going to go hiking in the Arctic or the Antarctic or any of those other places, New Zealand, if if you're not fit. Wendy, you first of all, you have to come back on the show because I didn't even touch, ladies and gentlemen, about the, the, the places that she's been and where she's hiked. She's hiked the Yukon. She's hiked the, she's went into the Arctic. She's, she rode in every river. She's done, she's, she's, she's seen bears. She's, like, those are stories that, you know, you, you know, when he mentioned, when Davis Johnson mentioned, you know, uh, exploring and, 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 and <laughs> frontiers. frontiers yes, I yeah. thought, my God, he's probably looking straight at her. But you know, it all comes back that. to the gym, doesn't it? And, and it does. It really does. And, because if you feel lousy, you don't want to get off the couch. Absolutely. So why would you go hiking in the Yukon? Well, you can't. So it's, it's, it's that's exactly where we're going to end it today because Wendy just wrapped it up in, 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 in a nutshell for me. I didn't even have to do a thing. So Wendy Cecil, thank you so much for thank coming you, on Tony. the Art it was of Wellness. Fun to come and talk to you even more. And, and what's more, we're both dressed. We're not in our gym clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy, thank you once again. A pleasure. Thank you, La- Tony. Oh, you're quite welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Art of Wellness on peachradio.com. <laughs>